3: Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Paris.
3: Hey, everyone. I'm so excited about today's guest. She is my friend. She is beautiful. She's a girl boss. And just a visionary and an amazing woman and Welcome to the show, Cindy. I think. Thank
4: you for having me. Look at this pink dress. I am dying. Uh, I this love our
3: pink.
0: This pink, is our shared pink powers right here.
3: I had to wear pink for you. Thank you. Obviously, <laughs> the pink queen. Thank you.
0: Yeah, for our listeners, go to our Instagram to check out these great outfits. I did not get the memo, unfortunately. <laughs> I see
4: that. Yeah, what the hell? I'm trying to not take it personally. Mm-hmm. We're not off
0: to the best start, Hunter. It's also see. a specific pink. It like is. you guys mashed. This can't be easy to find this fabric everywhere, you know?
4: What do you call it? I call it shocking pink because I don't think either one of us were made to be subtle. I agree. <laughs> good,
0: good we're kind answer. of like the
3: Beverly Hills Hotel vibe, like the pink and like green. That's true.
4: Yeah. You're complimentary. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so You're, much. You can
4: stay. Oh,
0: this <laughs> is all I ask. This is all I ask. Well, welcome to the show. Thank
4: you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. How
3: did you two meet? Uh, we met through my mom a couple yes. years ago and have been friends ever
4: since. The best part is her mom had me over and I was talking to just some folks about what I did and I was sitting, you know, up in the living room, like up the two steps and I'm in the middle of speaking and Paris yells out, how old are you? And I was, it was just so, I don't know. It's so funny, like how she commands your attention immediately. And, um, and then I think she paid me a nice compliment and I almost died because how nice is that to be complimented by Paris?
3: Well, I just think that you're so beautiful and you like how that just like look so young and Aww. you've accomplished so much. So I was Thank just surprised. You. I was like, how could someone who looks like that, like have accomplished <laughs> so much? So
0: sweet. Thank you. Well, likewise.
3: Thank you. Dude,
0: I'm surrounded by powerful women, but I, w- I want to know for those that don't know. Yeah. What is it that you accomplished?
4: So I'm best known for getting female Viagra approved by the FDA. How's that? I'm going to talk about sex today. Um, so my background is I've built and sold two companies. And the last one was for this product that the media dubbed female Viagra. Not really how it works. It's not a blood flow issue. It's a brain flow issue for women. Uh, but it was the first of its kind. There were 26 FDA approved drugs for some form of male sexual dysfunction and not a single one till we broke through. Wow. Here's the cool part. So that was in 2015. There wasn't even this term femtech. Like femtech is, you know, all these unique technologies, products for women. That got coined in 2016. And it's going to be a $50 billion category by 2025. Yes.
0: Amazing. Spearheaded by some pretty awesome? incredible people too. That's yeah. So what do you mean though, brain flow versus blood flow? I get the blood flow yeah. part. <laughs> Understand it too well. Mechanical never...
4: lift, right? Hydraulic lift. Um, yeah. You know, for women, their most common issue is lack of libido. They once were happy with their sex drive, something changed, they're really bothered by it. And it happens to a huge percentage of women. So a third of women who are surveyed say that they have kind of issues with desire. So what we learn scientifically is there actually is a brain chemistry phenomenon here. So if you take a woman who has this issue, it's called the medical term for it is HSDD. If you take her, put her in a PET scan, put a woman with a normal ebb and flow of desire, expose them to erotic cues, their brains light up totally differently. It's neurochemistry. And I think that women finally were being taken seriously for something that's biological was long overdue. Definitely. (laughs) How did you do that? (laughs) So I ran a company for men. So my background is I went into pharma, like right out of school. Um, I really just wanted to work for Fortune's most admired company. It happened to be a pharmaceutical company. I always think like, you know, sliding doors kind of moments in your life, like what was the company at that time? And at the time it was a company called Merck. And I fell in love with the science and changing people's lives. And then You know, along the way, I kind of chased innovation and went to smaller companies, Irish Catholics. So naturally, I go into sex. (laughs) When I started my first company, I had one of the male drugs. So I was one of the people leading a company with, you know, one of these like multitude of options. I mean, think about it. You haven't watched the Super Bowl for 20 years and not been told that sexual satisfaction matters if you're a man. Mm -hmm. And that was really the piece of it that when this science emerged for women, I was running that company for men. And I looked around, you know, big companies, big pharma, no one ran toward it. Everyone ran away. And I was like, that just makes no sense to me. And them running away was my cue to run in. So I sold off my business in men. I went back to zero. So it was profitable. It was doing so well. And I went to my board and I said, we're selling this. Like, We are going to get the first product approved for women. And they were like, take a vacation. <laughs> You're losing your mind. We're running this very successful company. We've gotten past the hard years of startup, like it's profitable. And I said, you know what? Absolutely not. Like this is now my calling in a way. Like no longer was I going to just be there to serve the needs of men. I was going to solve the real issue for women. And, um, and on the basis of that science went to work and took it to the FDA. And that was its own crazy story.
3: Well, that's so powerful because I feel like, you know, there's such a stigma around that, especially women Absolutely, talking about that because it's always been such a male dominated world and the business world, everything. And um, I just think it's so brave of you just to come out and um, stand up for all of us.
4: The truth of it is I got laughed out of every room, laughed out of every room when I first did that. But, you know, there's something about um, walking out of those rooms and thinking, watch me.
5: Mm
3: hmm. Yeah. I always have felt that way too. Just like being underestimated and wearing the pink and just like being so girly and people just don't take it seriously sometimes until you make them and be like, hello, I know what I'm talking about.
4: (laughs) I know. I love that. I think that is part of, you know, why we instantly bonded is there's, you know, this unbelievable kind of power in underestimation to unapologetic Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to change who I am. I like pink. I am feminine. I actually believe that that's a power in the boardroom and in the bedroom. And so I was never going to compromise that because everybody wanted me to, you know, wear a black pantsuit and pull my hair back.
0: Did you say a billion (laughs) dollars earlier? I did. A billion cash. A billion cash? A billion cash. Is that like... So sick. I mean, obviously when you started and you wanted to work for the most admired fortune company, all that stuff... Money was definitely something that I think a lot of people care about to a degree. Yeah. But a billion is that just like beyond your wildest expectations or did you expect that when you started and
4: You know what, honestly, I set out to change the conversation about women and sex forever exactly what Paris said. This should not be shameful. It affects millions of women. We should be able to talk about it. Um, but the but the outcome of the billion dollars was a bit mind-blowing, I have to say. And and not because the value is certainly there. Like the market was there for men, the ED market or, you know, all the Viagra, Cialis drugs is a $6 billion category now globally. And so the market opportunity was definitely there. I I do think I take a little bit on the taboos, like sex, money, Come talk to me. Politics, <laughs> just leave me out of this. But sex and money, let's talk about them because they are, ta- you know, complete taboos for women. And so when I sold it, they shelved it. They didn't launch the product. What? And I was devastated because that really, you know, in so many ways, like the mission of that is so dear to me. We fought so hard for women to finally have one. All of these women were counting us and then they couldn't get it. So I fought back again and I went and talked to their CEO. I said, give it back. And they laughed at the beginning. And then when they wouldn't pay attention to me, um, I sued them uh, because they hadn't met all their obligations under the contract. And in exchange for dropping the lawsuit, they gave it back to me for free. And we kept the billion and now I invested in other female disruptors.
3: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
4: that's wow. amazing
3: yeah and it's a crazy story that's incredible so they were literally trying just like
4: buy it and then hide it you know it's so weird is i think companies of that size like you can never underestimate like what's going on politically inside and they had another product that was a huge product um, that they wanted to you know put all their attention on mm. this was launch. There were a lot of factors that went into it. So I don't know that not necessarily the conspiracy theory, but it was crazy that they had paid a billion cash and weren't launching it. You know, if you look at success, what does it look like? And I think you realize it doesn't look like money. It looks like impact. Mm -hmm. That's really success. And so that allows, I take nothing away from people You know, wanting to make a lot of money, how they use it—if they spend it on crazy things, right? That's awesome that they've they've created that freedom for themselves, or bulldoze their brother's brother's yard
0: repeatedly.
6: (laughs)
4: Let's just build another one. Yeah,
0: I go and we're going to
4: this one for six months, and we're going to do it
0: fast because I'm going to get a bunch of crews on here. I don't care about overtime; they're working. I love it. Yeah, I love it. So, what would be uh, your advice for? Because I feel like you've, you've dropped some really good bombs on us. Mm. Uh, but what's some good advice for young women out there? Who, Because I feel like what you've accomplished a lot in Paris, you too. To a normal person before you did it, it seemed entirely impossible mm. to create mm. a career and brand yourself the way that you did. And and earn the, the amount you've earned and the impact you've had now, especially with everything you're doing recently. And obviously, uh, for you, same thing. What's your advice for those girls who think, oh, it's just, I can't do that?
4: what's the great quote? It's never impossible until it's done, or it's believed to be impossible until it's done. Mm. That's the quote. I got it wrong, right? It, it, it's, why would I ever do it? I didn't go to Harvard Business School. I didn't have a rich uncle when I began. Like, I didn't have any of those things. And I think it's anything that you, uh, you know, deeply commit to, you have the ability, I think, to accomplish. It is about that resilience at the end, right? How do you just keep showing up? I think life is constantly testing you in terms of how bad do you want it? Mm. Will you keep showing up? Um, so I, my answer is there's nothing that's outside of your reach. Not really.
0: Good advice, Paris.
4: I believe that too. I believe that
3: anything's possible. And if you really work hard enough and you're a good person, I feel like good things will come back in your life. And I think anything is possible really.
4: Can I, out? Now I, I, I really, this is something consistently, I think I talk to female founders about, especially it is, we really do celebrate unicorns, right? Like who are the, a billion dollars unicorn status? Who are the unicorns? And I think it's really simple. You got to embrace the workhorse to become the unicorn. Mm. It's not sexy, but anybody who's really gotten there, they have worked their tail off to get there. Mm-hmm. like they were they're head down doing the hard work and that's a bit of the disconnect. So that better piece of advice I needed a minute. What is the advice? It is put your head down, do the hard work. The workhorse becomes the unicorn. That's mm-hmm. the truth. I love that. I love it's that really too. good.
0: Especially for Paris spirit animal, I, the unicorn. I am perfect. a unicorn. So. That's
4: right. Paris is a unicorn. Like if you think about that, who are these people that you know, have captivated our hearts and the news feeds, and we we look at, and they're they're really sort of unique and special. That unicorn status. She she crush. She works harder than almost anybody I know, Thank and you. I think people don't realize that. You know, she's up early. She's on an airplane. She's traveling all over the world. Workhorses are the unicorns.
0: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. I like that. I got to work way fucking harder now. <laughs> So bummed. I was hoping you were gonna say it's really just like a right time, right place kind of thing. This sucks.
4: (laughs) Well, there is. You should be investing in certain things that'll get you there. Maybe that's a good. That's another piece of advice. Like, how are you making your money work for you? I'm
0: Trying to invest in Paris's NFTs, but those things have gone for way too much. I can't. uh, It's ridiculous. I got. I tell Paris, I go, hey, I got fifty bucks. Just give me one of the (laughs) NFTs, and she doesn't respond. And so. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. If you could do something, because I feel like you've obviously picked such a unique lane, but if you could do anything else, Paris, besides what you're doing, what would it be?
3: I would be. Well, when I was little, I wanted to be a veterinarian, oh. or like, yeah, a veterinarian. But then I saw that you have to give them shots and do surgery on them and like cut them open and like they die and. I was like, no, I'll just work really hard and buy a lot of pets one day.
0: That's a great, I like, I think your, your method worked out well. I do too. Those dogs are living well. Well, I think a good question for, we have a lot of female listeners. And also I think this question is good for other people, but how do you, how does a woman negotiate her salary in like today's workplace (gasps) where it feels tough? And that's a question for you too, Paris.
4: Okay. Here's my answer. I think we get obsessed about, you know, the wage gap. And we're thinking about going in with, I want like this percent. That's what I want. And what I would ask is that women play the game of variable comp. How do you get skin in the game or a piece of the value you create? So what if you became less obsessed? If I get $5,000 more, I get $2,000 more. What if you said, here's what I could deliver. If I delivered this, would you give me a piece of it? That was really a huge change for me from starting in a corporate job to figuring out, wait a minute, I want equity. I want a piece of this company that I'm working so hard to build. Or I want to have a bonus structure where if I deliver, you know, this to the bottom line, you give me some of that back. And I think that's really going to change the game for women is if we start to think about comp around ownership and what we keep in a piece of the value that we create.
6: Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. I think it definitely incentivizes people as well. Um, for me, I, (laughs) I feel very blessed that I've been able to, um, just do things that I love that are so much fun. Like I'm the one who invented getting paid to party (laughs) where I'm literally paid a million dollars to show up to a party and, like have a glass of champagne and be on the microphone and be like, Hey, what's up guys? Let's have a good night. (laughs) So like my whole, like, I guess like mind frame around it is it's been very, like, I feel very blessed. It's been very easy. Um, so yeah, I don't
0: know. (laughs) Paris's negotiations for your salaries. They're like, we want to pay you 55 grand entry level (laughs) and it's a 60 hour week just to start. Like we really want you to work hard. And Paris is like, but what if I get a million (laughs) and I only show up once (laughs) I drink a little bit of champagne at work and then I go home. This
4: is the negotiator people. That is absolutely right. Listen to what Paris has to say.
0: I think a combo between the two of you is perfect in terms of inspiring, uh, especially young women to live their best lives. Cause I feel like it's such a good balance between the two of you.
4: Paris has figured out though, like think about in her businesses, right? She has a piece of this value that she's creating. Mm -hmm. And I think that ownership is the distinction of playing a longer game and what can be transformational wealth. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what you make as just a paycheck and how do I increase that paycheck, you're leaving out, you're playing it, you're playing the short game, right? It's very immediate and I get it. Like we have to do that for bills, for all of those things, but find a way to have some piece of it that's the longer play. And that you are potentially going to get, you know, a big outcome, an exit or something like that. I love yeah. that. That's what I'm focusing on
3: a lot more now because I've had, you know, I'm 19 product lines. My 29th fragrance is about to come out. And I feel like I've done so many licensee deals for so long. Yeah. And now within the past couple of years, I've really just been building my own businesses. So I am the one owning the big piece instead of me you know, working my ass off, traveling around the world, promoting, and then getting a small piece when the company is getting everything. So I've really changed my business model in that sense so much. That's great. This is Paris.
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
2: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My
1: best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards
2: it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is 7 Slitting Questions. You ready for slitting questions? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. When you were little, what did you want to be when
4: you grew up? CEO. I mean, I have two big brothers, and they will tell you that every game like I invented, I was the CEO of. And literally, my first hustle is my brothers would pay me to bring them things from the refrigerator, like to the couch because they wanted to not get up while they were watching their shows. And I'm like, I'll get it for you, but you're paying me for it. (laughs) So little entrepreneur since the beginning. Yeah, that's probably true.
3: That's cute. (laughs) What is the worst date that you've ever been on and why? God.
4: Okay. Um, So this guy tells me he's going to pick me up really early, like 6 a.m. I have to be ready on a Saturday, which is awful. What? 6 a.m.? So it's a surprise. You know this is not good. (laughs) (laughs) On a Saturday, like, no. 6 a.m. And wear comfortable clothing. That is a horrific setup. (laughs) Because now I can't wear cute shoes. Now I'm mad. And he picks me up, drives me, like, to the middle of nowhere. And he's taken me to a tiger rescue. And at the tiger rescue, we had a private tour. Now this is like a legit good tiger rescue. Okay. He takes me to this, not Tiger King or Hmm. wherever that I can't remember. Yeah, not that. Um, We go there. We're on a private feeding tour and I get to like feed the cats. Now, mind you, it's, you're not really touching them. You're like a little bit away, but the first thing they hand me is a frozen rat and I'm like having to be cool right like I'm not phased. I'm like picking up this rat like putting it in a chute now this date I am gonna marry him <laughs> so this is just <laughs> and that was our first date so you know you never know
0: so just any guys open-minded. listening out yes. there that's the perfect date idea
4: <laughs> the worst date that turned into ultimately my fiance.
0: wow loves that <laughs> that's great it turned out great
3: Yeah, I've never heard of a worse date turning into that, but I like it.
4: First kiss, you have one minute to tell us everything. Oh, um, seventh grade dance. And, you know, it's like that perfect, like they dimmed the lights in the gym and we're like that slow (laughs) (laughs) dance. And I mean, I don't know what was playing at the time. And um, and so finally, like he's going to go in to kiss me. And my big brother was picking me up and all of a sudden I can hear like doors swing open to the gym and my brother dressed as Santa Claus for no reason, because it's not December coming in to embarrass his younger sister. And he's like, why are these lights so dim? And they turn up the lights and it was like the saddest little quick peck.
3: Okay. Okay. That's all good. First celebrity crush and current celebrity crush.
4: Oh, um, my current celebrity crush has to be Warren Buffett. <laughs> what? That plays. I get what? it. I mean, come on. Not like, but like crush were just, I'd love like if there was one person you could get in the room and like sit down with. I'd love to sit down with Warren Buffett. Hunter has been disappointed in me, for the record, for this whole interview.
0: No, I get it. It's that haircut, you know? I
4: mean, come on. He's my
0: type of guy.
4: Omaha, he lives in the same house like he, I don't know, bought way back when. I Um, won't
0: date a guy over 4'11", so Warren Buffett's (laughs) perfect for me.
4: (laughs) That's amazing. Okay, so first crush, I want to tell you guys about my best celebrity sighting yes can i do that yeah my first crush i I think probably was jason bateman on silver spoon probably um right um yeah i like i'm good at picking them like they have he is he has a good long game i think jason bateman
0: warren buffett doesn't have a long game ahead of him (laughs) he's uh (laughs) that's a different strategy
7: (laughs) i love that
4: okay next your top three bucket list items Ooh. Top three bucket list items. Make a billion worth of wealth for women. Meet Warren Buffett mm-hmm. <laughs> and have Paris plan my wedding. <laughs> Loves it. Great. Yes.
3: <laughs> Are you gonna wear a pink wedding dress? Ooh, I don't
4: know. You have to. You'll be my consultant. Okay. We'll see. I love it. Yay.
3: Okay. Both uh fiance is getting ready for the big days.
4: Mm-hmm. I love
3: it. Oh, I know. Um, it's exciting. I know. I'm so excited call each other for some advice. I know. Yes. Okay. What is the craziest thing that you've done lately?
4: I went with Whitney Cummings to, uh, like she actually was in Raleigh performing and stayed at my house. And like that might've been the craziest three days of my life. Was it was, oh, so a it was it. just, a, I mean, you guys know, right? Yeah, and, um, and it was just incredible. So that might've been some crazy stuff. We went on a plane together and she was trying to, teach me how to like bond with horses and the things that she did seemed a little like off what she, the parts of the animals that she likes to touch. To bond. <laughs> so oh being led by Whitney and that terrible answer, but the truth. I love that. I do. My friend always says to me, you know, if I'm outside with like the pigs and like they're screaming because somebody's over like trimming their hooves or such, she's like, what is your life? What are you doing? Like, how is this you? What's happening? But Yeah how long have you known Whitney? Um, we met probably a few, a few years ago now. Yeah. And we saw each other again at your birthday. Yes. And, uh, and she, she wrote me a note and said, I'm coming to Raleigh. What am I doing other than robbing your house? <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> you. And I was like, you're staying with me. And we had a blast. She's so much. Fun. She was, so, she killed it. I mean, again, somebody else, I have great admiration for how Whitney has structured even her own business, mm-hmm. and you know, figured figure that out, and keeping so much of a percentage of what she makes versus, I think, conventional contracts,
6: mm-hmm.
4: Hollywood contracts, one hundred.
3: you I know. know she's a genius. What is your most prized possession?
4: Aww. Um, my mom always gives me little bluebirds, so they're hidden all over my house. So little bluebirds of happiness. And I think probably those over the years for my mom. Sweet. Like little glass. Little glass bluebirds. Yeah. So you collect them. Yeah. How many do you have? I don't know. <laughs> Too many to admit. And they're just like <laughs> hidden and then you yeah, take them I and usually, put them somewhere. Mm-hmm, I usually hide them around the house. They're like all over in different rooms. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah, cute. That's fun.
0: See them and you smile as you walk around. Yeah, it's great.
4: So sweet. Okay. Let's see. Your top beauty secret. Have great sex. That's hot.
0: <laughs> that is a good answer. It's very
4: good. Very good for your skin. Very good. Like there's a lot of good science here, uh, but yeah, have great sex. Okay. I like so if it. any of
0: our listeners are listening and they want to help their skin out, <laughs> good luck. Have fun.
4: <laughs> have great sex.
0: Kevin, Kevin's DMs are open. Our camera <laughs> operator.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh.
3: What is your spirit animal?
4: Oh, my I my spirit animal is actually Mo that I rescued, which I so I wouldn't have been able to answer the question until I would have probably said rabbits before because they on a the theme. No, uh uh-uh, uh, it's definitely this dog, Mo Lickety, because he <laughs> his tongue hangs out permanently. And I think that there's just something about people's perception of him versus reality. And I think it goes back to our like this is the most underestimated little creature who's absolutely living life on his own terms, and I love it.
0: Amazing, so cute. <laughs> absolutely amazing. All right, it's my spirit animal too now. Yes, mo lickety Because <laughs> he's got the name of like a parody rapper.
4: He does it's so good, and he speaks with a lisp, as it turns out.
0: Good to know. Yes, with that big so tongue. You know. you I mean, you, to. you would, of course. Well, it was really lovely having you on this podcast. Thanks. Good answers. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So much
4: fun. Great to spend time with you guys. Next time you'll wear the pink.
0: Next time I'll wear the pink. You absolutely. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I love it. I feel alienated right now. <laughs> like I've made a boo-boo.
4: Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you.
0: This is Paris.
5: Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season, we're taking on WASP.
1: They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel, and unusual punishment.
3: After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire.
2: He was trying to brand us, so we were gonna become the McDonald's in treatment. The
3: worldwide association of specialty programs in schools.
2: They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way
3: at this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me and not just because I've already experienced it. Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I used to have so many men
0: First of all, you don't know me. We're
7: all about that high school drama girl, drama girl, all about them high school queens. We'll take you for a ride in our comic girl, girl cheering for the right team. Drama queens, drama queens, my girl. Girl, fashion, but tough, girl. You sit with us, girl. queens, drama queens, drama queens. Drama, drama queens, drama queens. Hey, this is Bethany Joy Lenz, And
5: Sophia Bush. And Hilary Burton.
7: And we have a podcast called <laughs> Drama, drama
6: queens. queens. I feel like it's a walk down memory lane that also might be a little bit of a stumble down memory lane. I
7: mean, we'll have cocktails sometimes, so we might leave stumbling.
6: Mm -hmm. I'm good with
7: that. There are no fans like One Tree Hill fans. There is no family like our family. So we got together to do a rewatch podcast to relive the show, as so many of you have so many times, because to be honest, we haven't. Yeah, we haven't seen it since 2002, 2003. We can't wait to take this trip down memory lane with all of you. What would our characters be doing right now? I think Haley would probably be, uh, I mean, she's got to be close to an empty nester now, right? Like, um, Jamie's out of the house. (laughs) Is she getting wild? She might She might be finally ready to live out those wild
0: years that she... Cut loose, uh, baby.
7: You Woo! know what I mean? <laughs> I think it might be
0: time. I'm going to say a lot of therapy. Peyton Sawyer <laughs> is in so much therapy right now.
7: Well, not long ago, I found my Vote Brooke Davis for President pin. I don't know. Is Brooke Davis a senator or something?
5: Like a 100%. Yeah, <laughs> you can totally go for that. There's
7: so much cool stuff to imagine for them. But before we can go forward, we got to go back to the beginning. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you all listen to Drama Queens on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at DramaQueensOTH or email us at dramaqueens at iHeartRadio.com. See you next time. we School, drama girl, drama girl, all about them high school queens. We'll, we'll take you for a ride in our comic girl, drama girl cheering girl. for the right team. Drama queens, <laughs> drama queens, my girl. But you're tough, girl. You could sit with us, girl. Drama Queens, Drama Queens, Drama Queens. Drama, Drama Queens, Drama Queens.
4: Well, now that Paris has gotten a chance to interview me, I think it's about time I get to interview Paris Hilton, the boss that I know who's created an over $4 billion empire. I want to ask her tough questions about money and even how did Paris Hilton ever first make money? This is Dominated. Let's jump right in. So can i share when we first met yes Okay. everybody has an impression of paris hilton isn't that true and she mm-hmm. walks into a room and you have a preconceived notion and what i loved so much about paris in the first few minutes is how she absolutely defied so much of what you believe you know about paris right she is so incredibly on point from a business perspective Her questions are incredible as we were talking. And I think we immediately found chemistry in two women who not only love pink, Mm -hmm. but love, I think, challenging the status quo and really owning our own destiny. I couldn't think of anybody who has dominated more than Paris Hilton to start this series.
3: Oh, thank you. (laughs) What can you remember about the first time we met? I just remember everyone in the room just being like mesmerized by you (laughs) and just so intrigued and interested. And even before I met you, before you came over, my mom was just like raving about you. Like you need to meet her. She's so smart. She's incredible. And like just talking like this pink pill. (laughs) And it's something that, you know, we've my mom and I have never even discussed sex or anything like that before. And you just came in and we're talking about it all. And it was just like crazy to like be in the same room with my mom talking (laughs) about things like that I've never even spoke about with her in my life. So it was pretty cool. When
4: we were around the table, it became almost like a confessional in Mm -hmm. the best way. And I think women were opening up and talking about something that we all deal with, but none of us talk about. And I loved that moment. And I think Paris was in many ways leading by like being unapologetic in talking about it so I I was immediately struck by you talk about a time when you felt very underestimated or how you've used underestimation as like a secret weapon oh my
3: god I've been underestimated <laughs> uh, too many times to count but um, yeah I think you know just from the simple life character that I developed, I was underestimated from the moment I, you know, hit the news waves when I started my career and it was something I got stuck into because it was how the whole world knew who I was. So, um, yeah, it was something I didn't recently like for people are finally understanding who I am now. Like back then for so many years, people have just, like I said, underestimated me thought, oh, she's like the ditzy blonde Barbie. Yeah. She comes from a wealthy family. She's spoiled. She's this. Mm -hmm. And people have never really... And I think also being a woman, they, they like to underestimate you. They, they don't want to give you the credit for the work that you do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people, I don't know, just in so many ways, it's been really hard sometimes just to have to live in that kind of with people thinking that of me when I knew the truth all along.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I obviously I've seen so many tapes of you through all of the years and I've seen you put into really uncomfortable situations in that where they, absolutely, we're underestimating who I know you to be. Um, but you've always handled that with such grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way you do it, right? You yeah. just take in that underestimation, walk out of the room and think, watch this, <laughs> right? yes. watch me. And I, I think for you know all of the, uh, the people listening, underestimation is an invitation to surprise people. Mm-hmm. And if you start to see it that way, if you lose that the shackles of kind of self doubt or imposter syndrome that we so often talk about. And you actually think this is kind of fun, right? I'm just going to gamify this. Um, it's really, it can be quite powerful.
3: Yeah. I think it definitely can fuel you to even want to do better
4: because you just want to prove them even more wrong than they ever thought possible. (laughs) So how did you transition from exactly what you said the simple life into really a empire builder in your businesses. Like, how did you make that transition?
3: Well, when The Simple Life came out, there was nothing like it. This show is the first of its kind. So this is the beginning of reality TV and um, as soon as it came out, that's when I saw the power of it, because we had over 13 million viewers, amazing, which was insane. And I just saw that this actually could be a huge platform for me to build a business and a brand. So mm-hmm. right away, I was like, all right, I want to develop my first fragrance. I want to do my own clothing line. I want to do an album. I want to write a book. So I just knew with having that stage and that platform and that audience yeah. that that was my superpower to build a brand and mm-hmm. also another way, you know, by playing this character and then just to be like, ha laughing all the way to the bank Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not a dumb blonde. I'm just very good at pretending to be one.
4: Yeah. I love, <laughs> I like the, the last laugh, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, I was laughed out of every room when I was going through this and I always think like, who's laughing now, mm-hmm. right? I give you a billion reasons to believe <laughs> yes. and, uh, and I'm laughing all the way to the bank, but So talk for a second about, um, seeing that potential, like you saw that opportunity to, to build a brand. How are, I want people to hear like, how is Paris Hilton as a boss? So, Mm -hmm. so what is that like for you? Even I want to, are you tough? Because you're so sweet. Yeah. I also have to say for everybody, like one of the real surprises, I think, and, and anybody close to Paris will tell you this, is she's so sweet and thoughtful and will send you a text out of the blue, just checking in on you. And that's really a, such a special part of you. But are you the, are you tough on people who work with you? No. No. <laughs> I'm so shy and I hate confrontation. Yeah. So even
3: if something bothers me or someone is like being lazy or doing something or they do something bad, I'm like so scared to say anything. So I just won't say anything. I used to just call my dad and be like, this person is being beyond like, can you tell them or can you like fire them? Cause I'm too embarrassed. (laughs) Um, I don't do that anymore, but, um, yeah, I'm just very bad with being like a bossy boss. It
4: changed over time. Maybe. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm not like mean and bossy, but I just will get the point across. And I think it's good to applaud people who work with you and celebrate them and make them feel really good when they do something good. For sure. It incentivizes them to want to do better and and really treating everyone like family where we're just so close, Mm -hmm. where people... I only have people in my life that want to lift me up and want to support me and are passionate about what they do. Yeah. So I think it makes it just an amazing work environment where people feel so happy and so good and excited to come to work.
4: And it's so fun. It is fun. I think it's a strength of women really to build a lack of a community, right? Mm-hmm. Even among the people who work with them. And I'm so grateful for all of my team. And it's a big piece of how do I recognize them and, uh, and, and have this very familial, awesome kind of culture mm-hmm. where you have all the right incentives, I think to do well. So if it's hard for confrontation, how do you find the best people? Like, are there ways that you find the best people to work for you? Do um... you, do you hire pit bulls like around you? You think, yeah, there's people in my <laughs> life that can be the bad guy, yeah. And I can
3: be the good one, yeah. And Carter's really helped me, like, he's so brilliant and such an amazing partner. Yeah. And we, since we've been together, I've done like a whole overall of my whole team, mm-hmm. so everybody is new, and I have some of the most brilliant, talented, creative, like. It's just amazing like what we've done even since the pandemic. I've started so many different businesses and mm-hmm. before it was all about traveling and DJing and doing personal appearances and you know since the world has shifted, I really just had to change my business model yeah. and um I've never had so many like successful businesses going I on at once. It. So it's just so exciting and I just I I don't know, I just there's so much to do. I'm so busy, <laughs> but I love it. I love I'm it. I'm so
4: excited for you. That's awesome that that's all going on. So I have a favorite interview question for all people. So to the point of like picking the people to surround you, mm-hmm. my favorite question I ask people is what is the first way you made money? What is the first way Paris Hilt made money?
3: My first thing, <laughs> um, well, before I had like a real job, um, <laughs> I my sister and I like lived in Malibu every summer in the colony and we would set up like a lemonade stand. Aww. And then I would start going into my house and like taking like, my mom's things yeah. and then selling them as well so I was I'm like sure such, she was thrilled yeah. oh my god what
4: did you sell of hers It's <laughs> like random like
3: antiques and things she, oh no I actually actually before I even had lemonade stand when I was like eight I would set up like a store in front of my bedroom with like a table and yeah. I would just like sell things like to my sister if like her godfather gave her a hundred dollars I'd be like I have this teddy bear. It's a hundred (laughs) dollars only.
4: And Nikki be like,
3: okay. And like, give me the hundred.
4: That's incredible. Oh my God. Did your mom find out or did she never miss these items? I have to know what happened with that. I think this is the first time she's hearing about it.
3: (laughs) Sorry, mom. Sorry, Kathy.
4: (laughs) That heard first here. That's, I knew you would be like an original hustler. Mm -hmm. I do. I love that question when I interview people because so many people answer it as their first job. And I think when they sit and think about it, it's the people are like, but wait a minute. When I was little, (laughs) I sold my mom's antiques (laughs) and then I'm like, ooh, I want to hire them because the motor turned on really early. So you talked about your mom and certainly, you know, people have gotten to see a view into your relationship, but what other strong women are influences in your life? I actually, I've read a little bit about your grandmothers, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to hear more about that.
3: Um, definitely for influences in my life, my mom and my grandma, I think it all started with my grandma because she was such a force and so strong. And just when she'd walk into a room, she just like took it over and yeah. it was just such a huge force in my life for so long. And I used to live with her actually in Palm Springs for a year. Aww. So she was just like my best friend, just so much fun, like make me laugh and give me the best advice and... Yeah, she's definitely had a huge effect on our whole family.
4: I miss her so much. Did I see in video that she would always tell you could be anything? Yes. I think that's so important. Like that's such an important narrative for girls, even at an early age of you can do whatever you want to do. And I think being surrounded by that gave you that sort of freedom to choose.
3: Yeah, definitely. Since I was a little baby, she always was saying that to me and just making me feel like I could accomplish
4: anything in life. Uh, my, you know, my dad has a, um, I, te- I have nieces and nephews. And from when they were really little, he would always be telling them like, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. And he would make them answer them back. Everybody's going to think this is so strange. And they would say, because I'm an Eckert, And yeah. he, because of that, like they could do anything, but it's like, how do we give people that power early on to know that they can dominate? So what has it been like in, you know, really a male kind of dominated space when you've walked into these rooms do you find it harder I guess to work with men than women I'm just curious about that
3: I think I've been doing this for so long and I used to be like one of the only women there was yeah um so it's something I've really just gotten used to over the years and um yeah yeah so I don't really have a difference between men and women. I mm-hmm. love working with women. I love supporting them. Yeah. Um, but there has been times like early in my career, just starting off um, where I would feel, you know, kind of uncomfortable mm-hmm. sometimes, especially in the modeling industry. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of creeps. Yeah. So it can I'm get sure. n- scary, which you would never experience with a woman, but mm-hmm. I don't know, just being alone in a room, sometimes only with one man is kind of, would be scary as a young girl.
4: Yeah. I think there's a way that you almost have to perfect your sense of humor to like, I don't know, diffuse those rooms Mm -hmm. and get out of them. Right. Is how do you, how do you get out of those and not be be put in those situations? I get asked that question a lot by women at conferences and stuff like, what do I do if, you know, we go to dinner, but he thinks that it's a date. And I'm like, you say, don't be that guy who thinks this is a date. Like you're not that guy you should, or you don't even say that to him. You say, Oh, this last guy that took me yeah. thought this was a date. Can you believe it? And you like immediately have like laid the table for this is not happening. Don't even think about it. Make him feel yeah, beyond. I can imagine <laughs> that was yeah, beyond. That's exactly right. So, um, so talk a little bit about, um, Beyond your grandmother's influence on you, which I think is maybe a lesser told story. So many people talk about your grandfather, of course, and Mm -hmm. your mom. What other women do you look to? Mentorship is a huge thing, I think, for me and how we find our network or our circle of friends. Who are some of the women that you have in your circle?
3: Uh, My sister, she's just brilliant. She's strong. She's my best friend. I look up to her so much. Even mm-hmm. though she's my little sister, I've always looked up to her as a big sister. She's How come? been just the more mature one, yeah. <laughs> like bossy,
4: just uh, like yeah. more,
3: I don't know. Do you like ever opposite. call her to
4: call any of your employees? I think that would be a terrifying call to come from Nikki. <laughs> they would be terrified. <laughs> I haven't
3: asked them yet because I would feel too bad for them. <laughs> That's
4: great. I love it. But I love her but so much. But it's an option for the future. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> That's good. Anybody else that you look up to as mentors? Well, I think that
3: you are amazing. I really look up to you. I'm inspired by you, how, what you've done with your career. And now that you're just really supporting other women in their businesses and making people's dreams come
4: true. And I just think it's really incredible. And I commend you for what you've done Thank you for all of us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I I love that piece. There's nothing better than helping somebody else get there. Yeah. Right. It really is so rewarding. And uh, Paris is really, truly puts sort of women on top, I think, in a Mm -hmm. way that I love to let's talk about Nikki for just a second. Cause now yeah. you've said that, what is the difference between the two of you? Like what was the balance between the two of you growing up?
3: Well, just growing up, we were always very different. Like I was such a tomboy. Like I didn't care about fashion. That's like so all I interesting. cared about was like going fishing and like being outdoors. And yeah. Nikki was always like getting dressed up and mm-hmm. really into fashion. And she seemed like a little bit more shy and I was more outgoing. And then when we became teenagers, she became like this gatekeeper where she would see guys or girls like trying to be my friend or hang out. And she would be like, no, that person's like bad. They're hungry tiger. Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) She would just like (laughs) always tell me the truth. Yeah. And no one, I don't know. I didn't really have, I had so many yes people in my life, my whole life. And she's always been the one who would be like, no. And just tell me how it is.
4: Would you say you've been lonely? Yeah. There's been times
3: like before I was engaged, Yeah, just traveling for 250 days out of the year and always being alone in these foreign countries all the time with like yeah. th- having nobody there with me. It has been really hard.
4: Yeah. I think about that being such a big piece of uh, so many women I know who really have dominated. They There is a loneliness. There's a loneliness in entrepreneurship. There's a loneliness that you're doing. There's a loneliness when you're the first in doing things. And I think it's something that is, to, it's why I asked you about mentors. I really love to, even when I decide to invest in women, I'm trying to figure out like, do they have a network? Because this is going to be really lonely. I don't know if you even know this about me. My childhood, I was in the Fiji islands. Really? So I very, I started in like Rochester, living there, lived there in Fiji. Yes. I love. So Fiji. my dad came home. I was from Rochester, New York, like, you know, upstate New York, almost Canada, freezing all the time. And my dad came home and he said, want to go to Fiji? And I said, what's Fiji? <laughs> and I went and l- spun the globe. And I was like, that's the other side of the world. I want to go to Fiji. He goes, great. Cause we're moving there in two weeks. And I really had this. And then I moved every single year from the fourth grade through my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was always like the new kid, totally uncool, and I tease that it's a bit of alone on the island. And I think that's also one of our bonds. Like I think mm-hmm. about your time at boarding school and feeling very isolated with the entire world already presupposing what you're going to do. So mm-hmm. how do you break out from that? Like, how do you break out from that? Everybody assuming or telling you exactly what you're going to do, all of that pressure. Um,
3: I think just... I feel like everyone's always had these misconceptions about me my whole life. And um, I've just learned just to not pay attention to that and Mm -hmm. just know who I am deep inside. And Mm -hmm. and especially just getting into the public eye at such a young age, being a teenager, it was really difficult. It's hard enough without being
4: in the public eye. I can't even imagine it.
3: It was a nightmare sometimes just having to wake up every morning and page six or like a tabloid is writing some crazy story. And then Mm -hmm. my mom's like, what the hell? Oh, no. (laughs) So it was just very hard for, you know, most of my life just to go through that. But I've just learned over the years that people are going to think what they want. And what matters is what I think of myself Mm -hmm. and what my family
4: and my friends and people who I love know about me. Is there advice you have for other women on that? Like, is there, is there something you tell yourself? Honest to God, I think of like even Ashley Graham with her mantras and like, is there something you tell yourself before you walk into a room? just like you're a boss. Don't <laughs> mm-hmm. be shy. Yeah. And just be you and
3: you're I, awesome.
4: <laughs> I think it's a good reminder. I'm so happy to see how happy you are in life right Thank now you. too. You're in such a happy place personally and uh, I love watching it for you. So mm-hmm. what was a story early on? So it's interesting to me and I know you've said this before that you were a tomboy. What's a story like your grandmother would tell me about? you when you were very little that would tell us like you were going to accomplish all of this
3: Hmm. ever since i was little my grandmother would always say to me like you're gonna you're marilyn monroe you're princess diana you're grace (laughs) kelly she would just always say these things to me and then um, one time she went to this psychic and the psychic told her your granddaughter is going to be one of the most famous and most photographed women in the world one day so that's something that she predicted like when I was like maybe five years old. Yeah. Um, and
4: it came true. <laughs> that's really incredible. You said that you're not a tough boss, but have you ever had a tough boss? No, I've always been my own boss. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. So for people watching you from afar, everything you touch turns pink, <laughs> right? Yeah. It turns to gold. So what is, it's why I asked you what your first job was, because I knew you were a hustler. (laughs) Where does that come, like that work ethic, where does it come from? Just from the way that
3: I was raised, I feel that my parents, I'm very lucky that they instilled that hard work ethic in me from a very young age. And, you know, when you come from a privileged family, I've lived in LA my whole life. And I've been friends with a lot of people who, you know, come from these very wealthy families. And a lot of them, never had a job. They're just handed allowance and they get, you know, money thrown at them all the time. And, you know, they're not happy because they've never accomplished anything on their own. And my parents, ever since we were teenagers, have really instilled in us to want to do something with our lives and want to make something of ourselves and be proud of that and didn't spoil us. And I think that's something that's really important to do because, you can spoil them, you know, you're able to For sure. financially, but you will destroy your children if you do that.
4: Yeah. You love it more if you earn it, don't yeah. you? Way <laughs> more. So much more if you earn it. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge piece. I do see your work ethic and I have such admiration. And we were talking about the workhorses are the only ones who become the unicorns. Yep. And I think that's so true. And we just, you know, a lot of people I think miss out because that, what's this expression I've seen? Like they don't work hard because it's dressed in, or they miss success because it's dressed in uh, overalls and looks like hard work. It's a Simple Life reference. Okay, yeah. wait, you did have bosses on Simple Life, though, that were oh, horrible. Yeah, I did. I forgot about that. I can't believe <laughs> I didn't catch you on that. Who was the worst boss on Simple Life? You had somebody who was a terrible boss there.
3: The guy at the dairy farm, <laughs> it was so mean. Like, he just kept, like, yelling at us, and we had to, like, get the milk and the cows. It was just so gross. Yeah. <laughs> We like, were so just tired because we'd been there since like six in the morning, yeah. like milking all the cows, herding the cows, like doing, uh, I think it was our first job out of the entire series. So it was just like a kind of culture shock <laughs> to us. And then we ended up like running away and then just going into this jacuzzi and like laying out in bikinis. And then he was like, you're fired. <laughs>
4: <laughs> How many jobs have you gotten fired from?
3: Um, none in real life, but in the simple life, every single one we did. Yeah. Every single job. And I've now that, yeah, you're right. I've done a lot of crazy jobs. I've worked at Sonic. I know. I need to
4: hear more of these jobs. Okay. Go through some of those jobs.
3: I worked at, um, this place called Caliente in Florida, which is a nudist colony, As like housekeepers, (laughs) and we were what else did we do? How was (laughs) that?
4: It's true that the people who go to a nudist colony are not the people who should go to the nudist colony. Yeah, (laughs) it's
3: everyone you don't want to see naked, naked.
4: That's incredible. It was so weird just
3: like walking around, like being like in the couch, and like someone sits down, like, ill, but they like had to sit a towel down before they would do it. And then we went to the nightclub that night because we were bored, and people were dancing naked on the dance floor. It was like so (laughs) weird. It was definitely an experience. I'm so happy I did that show. Those are
4: good. I know that's great. Those were good experiences. <laughs> okay. Now that we're naked, can we talk about sex for just a second? You knew if the conversation's me, we're going to get to sex somewhere. So I think this is really more in the context of taboo. Like you're a sex symbol, really yeah. like you're a sex symbol. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if Justin had a poster of you, my fiance, but I'm pretty sure he did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's funny like that we, we can talk about sex that way, but we can't actually like have a real conversation about sex. What, what is it do you think that holds like creates all these taboos, sex, money, you pick whichever one it is. Like, what is it that's holding the conversation back for women? (sighs) It's
3: just I think it's just been like that forever. Like even the way I was raised, my mom was so shy, she wouldn't even talk about it with yeah, me. Yeah. It was nothing we still don't talk about it. Right. I think the only time <laughs> we were talking about it was in front of you when you came over.
5: <laughs> but um
3: yeah, I think that's just something that's instilled in women. Yeah. you know, all over, unless, you know, they are someone who just will come out and do it. But it's something that's very hard to do yeah like even
4: now I get so shy like yeah. even hearing the word Paris did freak for a second when I said that <laughs> everybody I don't know if you caught that I don't care. she's like oh no Cindy don't do this <laughs> um but I but look I think it's like speaking up for yourself and you're doing that right now in spades like I couldn't be prouder honestly to watch yeah. your activism your advocacy can you talk just a little bit about that like what what is it that what would you tell other people they need to do to really advocate for themselves? Um, well for me, I, you know,
3: I've never been so proud of my life. Yeah. Just after I did my documentary, you know, I had no idea how the world was going to react oh. when I was discussing things. I never talked about just yeah. all the abuse I went through as a teenager at all these schools and it's still happening today. And, um, just to know now because I've used my voice, I've really turned my pain into a purpose and I just passed my first law in Utah last month. Awesome. So that's, yeah, it's so exciting. And now we're taking it to a federal level. So it'll be illegal in all 50 States. And it's just, it makes me so proud. I know that me as like a 16 year old girl stuck in there, would be so proud of the woman I am today to be sticking up for what's right. And this is going to affect, you know, generations of children from, you know, before who had went through it, yeah. ones who are in there now and in the future. So the fact that I could have made such an impact in that way is, I feel like I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm proud of, but yeah. this by far is the thing I'm most
4: proud of. I was going to ask you that question. I figured that was <laughs> the answer, which is awesome. Yeah. I'm so proud of you for that too. I think, um, you know, I, I watch you and have so many sort of flashbacks of me standing at the FDA and like fighting the establishment, if you will, for, for change, for good. And, um, and I think it's just admirable what you're doing there. And I, I do believe for everybody, let's be honest, nobody would have thought that Paris Hilton would change the game this no way. way. No one would have thought that. Right. <laughs> A
3: lot of people say that to me. There's like, there's one word I would not think of you before. And it was like
4: activist. Yes, That's right. But mm-hmm. I think that's proof to everybody that they have that within, even from, you know, the most unexpected places. I think if we speak out for ourselves, we're actually speaking out for each other mm-hmm. on things that just don't make sense. Um, so I, I love watching this frontier for you, Thank you and everything that you're working on now. Me too. Excited. So what does the word dominated mean to you? Dominated
3: to me means being a boss and really just stepping up for what's right and just not letting anyone or your past define you and just being yourself and being strong. Why is it hard to be
4: yourself in this world?
3: I think because the world wants you to be someone else sometimes and people feel like they need to conform to that. And when you think about it, you don't have to. It doesn't matter what other people say or what people do.
4: Everyone is their own person and they should be who they want to be take that from the woman who absolutely everybody believes should be a certain thing because of your last name, because of how we watched you grow up from a very early age. And you have absolutely defied, I think what people would have expected and done it on your own terms. And in that way, you truly have dominated. Thank it's you. It's a great example. You too. Thank you, Paris, for being my friend. How how cool is this? that I kicked it off with Paris Hilton. Like that is incredible. (laughs) So the bar is really high, but you and I are going to compare notes. There are going to be incredible women that we talk to who have crushed it. Many of whom we both call friends. And I just want to make sure that all the women out there that I think both you and I want to see be incredibly successful dominate in their own life.
3: I love it. It was an honor to do your show. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to This Is Paris. We love hearing from you. So leave us a review. Send an email to paris at iheartradio.com. Leave a voicemail at 833-87-PARIS and follow us at This Is Paris Podcast. Bye, babes.
6: Follow Paris at Paris Hilton and follow
4: Hunter March, host of E's Nightly Pop at Hunter March.
7: it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before,
1: you're going to love Season 9.
7: Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Tura
1: Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools.